And so as I said, we're in week number two of our message series that's called The Vow, and our goal and prayer is that God would help those of you that are not married today but hope to be in the future, that he would do a work in your heart and use this series to prepare you for a future marriage that honors him. And for those of you that are married, I believe that this message series and this message is going to strengthen you, empower you, encourage you, give you some hope and give you some tools to have a marriage that will genuinely bless you, your spouse and future generations of your family. Well, you don't actually have to answer. This is a rhetorical question. I feel like I have to say that because anytime I write something down that's a rhetorical question, there's always one person who won't realize it's a rhetorical question and will like try and answer it. This is a rhetorical question. Have you ever made a fool of yourself in the name of love, if you think about it, if you think about it, <laughs> well, I did my best. <laughs> you ever done something stupid and ridiculous to impress someone that you were in love with? I think most of us have at, at, at one point or another. And I, I enjoy following this Instagram account that, that started recently. I won't tell you the name of it, that way you can't judge me. Uh, but all it does is it only posts photos and videos of one thing. And it's people who have managed to record other people who are taking photos for their social media accounts. So all it is is, is is somebody posing ridiculously trying to take pictures of themselves and somebody's filming them doing this or filming somebody else who, who, who has their friend doing that for them and they're, they're posing or the favorite ones are when they're dancing to no music at all because they plan to edit the music in later on and so they're just in public like, like going nuts dancing in dead silence in a museum or something like that. It's absolutely fantastic. So I, I've been really, really enjoying that. But the unsung heroes of, of this Instagram account, the people who I really feel for are the, the Instagram boyfriends and husbands who are behind the camera, behind the phone, who have to take these photos and videos, spending an incredible amount of time just waiting for their significant other to get the perfect shot or the perfect video. I saw this one where this girl... She was clearly going for this, this wanderlust type feel thing where she's blowing snow into, into the camera. And I'm sure they were going to do some slow-mo or try and get the perfect photo. And so her boyfriend is literally just standing there having snow blown into his face over and over and over by this girl. And I was just looking at this and I was thinking, man, love will make you do stupid stuff. Really, really stupid stuff. You know, when we were dating... I would go and watch Charlene's family members play hockey just to hang out with her. I don't even like hockey, but, but I liked her. And I won't ask the men in here to publicly admit if they've ever lied about liking something because they liked somebody. Oh, that new romantic comedy? Yeah, I've, I've been wanting to see that too. We should, we should go do that together. Oh, he's your favorite author? I mean, what are the odds of this? You're not going to believe this. He's my favorite author too. I love that guy with his, with his books and words. They're so good. They're so good. So make a note of this big principle. It's the first fill-in on your outline, and then we'll talk about it. By nature, we tend to pursue what we don't have. We tend to pursue what we don't have. Chances are pretty good that most of you have some similar stories about doing some dumb stuff for love. Maybe you drove through terrible weather, through the snow, risking your life to just hang out for 20 minutes with the love of your life years and years ago. Maybe you spent all of your money on some ridiculous concert or musical or, or event because it was their favorite thing. Maybe you used to sit by the phone back in the day when they were, there were landlines, you know, and you'd say, I'm not going to hang up. You hang up. No, you hang up. 
that you hang up. I don't know if this generation even does that because they're just texting, right? They're going to be like, you called me? What's wrong with you? Why are you so weird? It's 2020. Whatever it is, most of us have these kinds of stories. We tend to pursue what we don't have. But what happens years later when you wake up and you don't feel the love? You don't feel that drive. What happens one day when you suddenly think to yourself, well, where did the intimacy go? Where did the adventure go? Where did the romance go? Well, very simply, if we just look at the roots, somewhere along the way, the priorities got out of line and we, we stopped pursuing one another. So think about this. Is there any other area of your life where you can be lazy and see improvement? Any other area of life? Can you be lazy with your body and see an improvement? Never going to happen. Can you be lazy in your business, not lead it well, not manage finances and, and see it grow? No, you can't. Can you be lazy with your yard, not fertilize it and see your yard get better? No, the weeds are going to grow. That's why when it comes to marriage, we should take this approach. Write this down. If the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. If the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own yard. And that's what I want to talk about today. If you were with us last week, we looked at vow number one. It's in your notes. The first vow is, I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. God will be my one, my spouse will be my two. We put God first in everything we do. And this is our second vow. You can write this down too. I will pursue my two. This is what we're talking about this week. Vow number two, I will pursue my two, my husband, my wife. We took the first vow out of Genesis 2.24 and that's where we draw this second one from as well. Genesis 2.24 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be what? Joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When a man leaves his mother and father, he reprioritizes his relationships. God is now number one, his spouse is now number two and he's united with his wife. And the root word in the Hebrew language that's translated joined is the word davek, davek. It means to cling or adhere. It means to catch by pursuit or to pursue hard with affection and devotion. I want to show you just three different ways this Hebrew word davek is used in scripture in the Old Testament because the Hebrew language is a lot more colorful than the English language. Every word is almost like a picture. It's like a mini story. There's texture. There's action in a lot of the Hebrew words and these are all going to be on your outline. Psalm 63.8 translates davek this way, my soul follows close behind you. Job 41.17 uses it this way, they are joined to one another. They stick together and cannot be parted. And Judges 20.45 renders it, they pursued them relentlessly. They were united, they were devake, they pursued hard after one another and therefore they became one flesh. In fact, one of my favorite relationship stories in the Bible is a story of pursuit. Back in the Old Testament, you find the story of Jacob and Rachel, and some of you will remember it from our study through the book of Genesis. They're two sisters, Leah, the older sister, and Rachel, the younger sister. And the Bible says, literally, that Rachel had a lovely figure, beautiful to look at, but Leah had weak eyes, which, which really means, when you translate it into English, that she had a great personality. That's what that means. That's, 
I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But how, how cruel is that? The idea is that she was hard to look at. That's how the Bible describes her. Imagine someone saying, you're going to be in the Bible. People are going to be reading about you thousands of years from now. Really? Tell me what is it going to say? You're ugly. That's what the Bible is going to say. Oh, thank you so much. So, Rachel's beautiful. Her sister has a great personality. That's what it says. Jacob loved the younger sister, Rachel, the good-looking one, and said to her dad, Laban, hey, listen, I, I want to marry I want to marry her. I'll do whatever it takes to marry her. And Laban says, well, well, let's make a deal. Work for me seven years, then you can marry Rachel. And so scripture says that the time passed like it was nothing. It seemed like but a day to Jacob because he was so in love with Rachel, so motivated by love. And if you know this story, a little switcheroo takes place. There's a, a wedding night, a wedding ceremony, and the bride is, is fully veiled, and there's a lot of probably drinking and celebrating going on. It's dark, and they go off to consummate the marriage. Jacob wakes up the next morning, and, and he's not in bed with Rachel. He's in bed with Leah. And Laban switched them. And Jacob says, what, what are you doing? What, why did you do this? And he says, oh, I forgot to mention, in our culture, we have a practice. You got to marry off the first child, the first daughter, before you marry off the second. Did I forget to mention that? And so Jacob's furious. But Laban says, well, well you know, we, I'm sure we can make a deal for Rachel, though. Work another seven years, and you can marry her. You see, a lot of people think Jacob had to work seven years, and then he got Rachel. But actually what happened is, the father gave him Rachel, Laban gave him Rachel and said, but you gotta work another seven years if I'm gonna give her to you right now. And here's the imagery that's so good and instructive. Make a note of this and get this. Here's the point. Jacob worked hard for Rachel when he already had her. When he already had her. He worked those seven years when he already had her. Gladly, even though he had already received her. He worked for her after he already had her, and in so many ways I believe that's the heart that God wants us to have in our marriages. He wants us to work hard for our number two, even after we have them, to pursue our spouse. What happens is when you're not married, you, you start dating and, and you do pursue each other because we tend to pursue what we don't have. You do everything, you buy them little stuffed animals, you write them songs or, or you make like mixes for them, Back when that was a thing, mixtapes were a thing. You send them little notes or messages just to let them know that you're thinking about them. You don't really know what you're doing, but, but you just really want to find a way to let them know that, that you're kind of into them. And what happens, though, is if we don't continue to pursue each other in marriage, things tend to go downhill. Now, if I can talk to those of you that are not yet married, I want to give you just a little bit of advice. If you've got kids, this is good advice to give to your kids as they get into their teen years. If you're single... If you're dating someone right now and there's not mutual pursuit, I would encourage you to seriously reevaluate the relationship. Because as we've been saying, you tend to pursue what you don't have. And so if he's not doing anything special, if he's not really putting forth any real effort, never doing anything to let you know that he's thinking about you, I would just say, ladies, you're worth pursuing and I would reevaluate that relationship. And ladies, while you're hopefully not throwing yourself at him, but if you're not writing a little love note every now and then, you're not telling him that he's kind of cute, you're not ever making some cookies, literal cookies, that's not a metaphor. If you're not doing something to show interest in him, then you really might want to take a look at the situation and reevaluate it because typically when you get married, the pursuit doesn't go up. In most cases, it goes down. So if you're not seeing it while you're dating, 
I would really encourage you to reevaluate. But let's talk about how we live this out and let's be real practical. So what happens? No, no one gets married and thinks, you know, I, I wanna have a bad marriage. I wanna lose intimacy. I wanna give this a go and then seven years from now I wanna split up and just have the kids on the weekends. No, nobody thinks that. Nobody goes into marriage with that plan. We have good intentions. We, we love each other but life just wears us down and so often we get tired, we get worn out, we get overwhelmed and we wanna show the love that we feel but we, we just don't know how to do it. It just seems so difficult. And so I wanna give you three simple principles that can help close the gap between our intentions and our actions. Our intentions and our actions. Three simple, scripturally-based principles that will help us to pursue our two. So first, let me share with you a rule that I honestly try to live by. You can make a note of this. This is the first principle. When you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. Every time you think something good about your spouse, say it. Why would you rob them of the blessing? Why would you rob them of that positive thought you're having about them by not giving it life and expressing it to them? If they're at work, text them, send them a message, or just say it to them any way that you can. In Hebrews 3.13, on your outlines, it says, but exhort, that means encourage one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, if you wanna keep the deceitfulness of sin out of your marriage, one of the things you can do is encourage each other daily. Encourage each other daily. Every time you think something good, say it. Every time you feel thankful for them, Tell them. If you have a moment where you feel especially fortunate to be married to them, tell them. I don't know if you ever have that. I don't want to sound mean to anybody, but sometimes I'm just around some people or I see a different couple interact and I think, man, I'm so glad I'm married to my wife. Tell them that. If they look good in that outfit, tell them. You know who likes to be told that they look good? Everybody all the time. Everybody all the time, no exceptions. No one's like, this is not the time to tell me that I look good. That's never gonna happen. If the way they do something is amazing or impressive, tell them. We never want our spouses to be starved of verbal affection. Every time we think something good, we try to say it. A couple of pieces of advice on this. Let me talk first to the men and then I'll talk to the ladies. But, but men, when you pursue her with words, pursue her with words of affection, words of affection. This is gonna be really hard to understand. I'm gonna to try to put this as simply as I can, but, but I'd encourage you as well to pursue her with non-sexual affection. And some of you are like, I, I just don't understand conceptually, Jeff, what you're, what you're talking about. So I'm gonna say, say it really slowly and, and help you understand it. It, it, it is non-sexual affection. It's a real thing, it's a real thing. Because you know, a guy can make, can make anything sexual. It's like every guy's spiritual gift, right? It's like, sweetie, we need to get the tires rotated. I'll rotate your tires, this will do. Or can you load the dishes? I'll load your dishes. He can do it with anything, it's a, it's a gift. He's not a pervert, he's just a guy. He's just a guy, it's just how it is. He can do it with any subject. I can't wait to hear you preach on Sunday, I'll preach to you. He can do it with anything, just what you do. But what we need to do is you need to also pursue her with, with, with non-sexual affection. I know you've never heard those words strung together in that order and they've never come out of your mouth. 
But one of the things that's a real simple, practical, powerful tool, easy way to do this is to add the word because to the end of the phrase, I love you. And then change the ending regularly. So I love you because you're my best friend. I love you because for all these years you've been with me through everything that we've been through. I love you because you're the most amazing mom I've ever known. I love you because you put God first. I love you because even though things are difficult right now, we're hanging in this together. I love you because pursue her with words of affection. She needs it and it brings tremendous value to the relationship. When you think something good, say it. Say it out loud. Bless her. Now, ladies, I'll say this to you. Pursue him with words of affirmation because he is becoming who you see him as. He is becoming who you see him as. And God has given you, believe it or not, the ability to make your husband feel like a winner. And he needs that. The whole world can be falling apart, but when a man feels like his woman believes in him and is proud of him, most of the time, that's enough. Most of the time, that's enough. The most important review I get of my message every week is from Charlene. And it's, it's always the same. Really good message, babe. I enjoyed it. And I know she's supposed to say that. I don't care. It still means the world to me because she's my wife. She has that power. She has that ability to lift me up. So applaud your husband for anything even remotely spiritual. You know, if his prayer at Thanksgiving before the meal is rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, you pull him aside at some point in that evening and you say, thank you, thank you for leading our family in prayer. I love it when you do that. And you just breathe into his ear a little heavier just for, for a second. I'm joking, but not really, not really. Because you do that a few times and you watch what happens. That man is gonna start praying longer and louder over meals. You'll be amazed what'll happen. So build him up with words of affirmation because the way you see him really will impact who he becomes. When you come across a confident man, there's almost always someone behind him who believes in him. Conversely, when you come across that man who, who battles insecurities and you can tell because he's, he's always trying to say things out of false pride, like look how great I am and he's got that little man syndrome, it's almost always because he's not getting the affirmation he needs in his life. It's a big deal. Pursue him with words of affirmation. Just a couple more thoughts on this. Men, she wants to know the answer to this question. Do you love me today? That's what a woman wants to know. Do you love me today? So it doesn't work when you're like, I told you last week. They want to know, do you love me today? Ladies, he wants to know, do you believe in me today? Do you believe in me today? Anytime you think something good, say it. Answer that question for your spouse every day. The second principle is this. Write this down. When you think something special, do it. When you think something special, do it. Every time, anytime you think something special, do it. James 4.17, if we can loosely apply this to marriage. I know this isn't the context of the verse, but hopefully the principle still applies. It should be convicting to us. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So in other words, anytime you know something that would be a blessing to your spouse and that thought pops into your head, you should do it if you think he would really love this, she would really love this. You should do it. You shouldn't say, but uh, I'm just too tired to do that. Or I just don't want to do that. They don't know I'm having this thought, so they won't even know that I thought about it and chose not to do it. Because 
we pray and we say, God, would you, would you help us by your spirit to have better, stronger marriages? So you have these moments and we just dismiss them, but I really believe most of the time that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us saying, hey, this would bless your spouse right now if you would do this. And we're like, nah, we're good, we're good, we're good. So do it. If you've got little babies at home, guys, one of the most romantic things you can do is give those filthy little buggers a bath. Wash them up, load the dishes, get them to bed. That's actually a very romantic thing to do. Get her some flowers if you're out. Pick some up for her. If flowers are too expensive, I'm sure there's some houses in your neighborhood with beautiful gardens. (laughs) It's getting dark early still. It's easy to work this out. When you think something good, bless your spouse with it. If your spouse is just exhausted, find a way to bless them. Find a way to give them some relief. Get the kids to a relative's house for the night. Order in pizza, Chinese, whatever you want. Watch the kids. Tell your spouse to go take a nap. Tell them to go take a bath, listen to their favorite podcast, say, I'll handle the kids, plan a getaway, just whatever you can do to bless them. Other way you can do that is just by by joining them in their interests. Go back to, remember when you were dating before, how you would pretend to be interested in the stuff that they were interested in? Go back to doing that. Pretend to be interested in that rom-com. Pretend to be interested in that sport. Make some space to to chat and talk and ask them about that thing that you're not really interested in at all. Ask them just because you wanna connect with them. Ask them just because you wanna connect with them. Even if they know you're doing that, they won't care. They'll still gladly talk about it and they'll still really appreciate it. Whenever you think something amazing, say it. Whenever you think something special, do it. Third principle is this, make a note of this. This is important. When you want something different, be it, be it. When you want something different, be it. Let me just kind of uh, meddle a little bit because I know some of us might be tempted in, at this moment and, and, and think when it comes to our spouses, well, you know, if they would just do what you said, Jeff, then if they would be that person, then I would be glad to be that other person. It's, it's because it's so easy to point the finger at the other person. Really hear me on this. Do not gripe about what your spouse is not. You become who God wants you to become. Don't gripe about what your spouse is not. You become who God wants you to become. You want something different? Be something different. This might shock some, but studies have shown that nagging is not an effective means of behavioral modification. And even if you succeed into nagging them into changing their behavior, they're probably going to be deeply embittered towards you because of it. They're not gonna say, oh, thank you so much for persevering in your nagging and changing my behavior. Life is so much better now. At first I thought I wanted you to stop nagging, but now I see it was really the best thing for me. (laughs) That's never, ever, ever going to happen. The better way is by humbly being an example. If you don't like how much your spouse is on their phone at home, then engage with them. Engage with the kids, put your phone away. Pretty soon they're gonna feel like, oh yeah, I shouldn't be doing this. If you're tired of always being late, get yourself and the kids ready five minutes early. We don't criticize our way into a better marriage. We can't change anybody else. We're responsible for ourselves. We're responsible for ourselves. And the moment you go home and you start trying to apply this message to your spouse instead of yourself, you've missed the entire point. You want something different, then you become 
something different. You want to connect more with your spouse? Then you create time and space for that to happen and invite them into it. So let's continue to get very real. Let's get very practical. Communication is so important in a marriage. We all know this. Communication is one of the keys. And to strengthen our marriages, we need to know, we need to understand what our spouses need from us. Now the way to communicate, man, this should be so obvious, but, but this is just the way it is with marriage, right? All the things that are so obvious to us are the things that we have the hardest time actually applying. L- let me explain. This is what I'm talking about. The way to communicate what you want and need from your spouse is not in the middle of an argument. It is not in the middle of a fight, okay? It is not wise to pick the moment in time in which your spouse is least inclined to care about what you want or need, feeling the least amount of affection towards you. That is not the time to say, now I'm going to communicate what I want and need from you, or don't you love me? But that happens all the time in marriage, right? Well, what's better? Picking a normal, calm, chill time to have a conversation and ask our spouses every now and then questions like, hey, how can I better support you? Is there anything that I could be doing differently or we could be changing that would be helpful to you just for us, for our relationship, for our marriage? And I know these are scary questions, right? Because we're thinking, but, but, but Jeff, what if they answer? I don't really want to hear that answer. <laughs> I really, really don't. But that's some of the most important information we could ever receive if the goal is strengthening our marriage. We have to really be willing to go there and have to be ready to actually respond positively to the information that they give back to us. Our second vow is, I will pursue my two. And men, I want to talk to you for one more minute here and just encourage you in a lot of this. You take the lead. You take the lead. Uh, women tend to multiply, and I hope this doesn't come across in a way that's insulting. Uh, it's actually ordained by God, and this is a beautiful thing, but women tend to multiply. When Charlene and I bought our first house, she multiplied it and she turned it into a home. I think I would have had just probably like a, a card table in the middle of the dining room if I didn't have a wife. I certainly wouldn't have anywhere near the number of pillows that we have. Uh, this is what a woman can do. She can make it into a home. When we got married, we said, I do. And we did. And she multiplied our love and she gave me kids because women are multipliers. What, what you give them, they, they just tend to multiply. And gentlemen, let me tell you something you already know. If you give a woman a hard time, they are multipliers. Don't say amen. You give them a hard time and they will multiply it back to you. They will apply the words of Jesus in Luke 6:38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now here's some good advice for men. This is why I'm saying this. Write this down. But it does apply for everybody. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting back, look at what you're giving them. Instead of complaining about what you're not getting, ask yourself what you can give to the marriage to pursue your two. There was a time when you did it. You were in love, you did stupid things, you pursued them, why? Because you were crazy about this person. And years later, you wonder why you're not. Well, somewhere along the way, you stop pursuing. You don't need to write these down, but I'll just tell you, 
there's two principles that apply to all of life. And the first is to get what you've never had, you have to do what you've never done. If you want to get results you've never had before, you got to take action you've never taken before. But secondly, and similarly, to get what you once had, you must do what? What you once did. You had it before, you can get it again. You know how to do it. You know what to do, you did it before. You look back and you remember, you recall what it looks like to put some effort into the relationship. You show some romance, some tenderness, some affection. You pursue the other person for who they are and over time, a heart softens. Romance comes, suddenly they're a little playful, so a little snuggling and then a blessing from the Lord. Why? Because a little bit goes a long way. A little bit goes a long way when it comes to effort in a marriage and then it snowballs. And so to get what you once had, you have to do what you once did. If it was ever special, it can be special again. We say that again, if it was ever special, it can be special again. If God is your one, your spouse is your two, and you pursue your two. When Jesus was talking to the church in Ephesus who had lost their passion, their emotion from their relationship with him, he said it very simply, again, Different context, but we're just pulling the underlying principle and applying it to marriage as well. In Revelation 2.5, it's on your outlines, Jesus' solution that he presented to them to get the affection and the emotion back into their relationship with him was this, therefore remember from where you have fallen. In other words, remember what it used to be like and repent and do the deeds you did at first. Change your mind, change the way you're acting, go back and do the things you were doing back then. You know how to pursue. Don't waste the gift that God has given you through all these years, this gift of marriage. Fall in love again because if the grass looks greener somewhere else, that's a call to water your own yard. Mow that grass, I'll mow your grass. That's just, that's, that's just force of habit, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But you can have that marriage that God wants you to have. You can, you absolutely can. And on that incredibly spiritual note, we're gonna close today's message and we're gonna pray. Effortless segue into something spiritual like prayer, right? But let's do that, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for, for the advice of your word, Lord. And thank you for the gift of marriage. And Lord, we know that, that none of us get into marriage planning on, on getting tired and exhausted and distracting and, and seeing days become weeks, become months, become years without actively pursuing one another. None of us plan to do that, but it happens. Life happens, life gets in the way. And so Father, we just wanna ask that you would remind us by the power of your spirit to pursue our two. And Father, we know that you've been doing that as well, but, but how many of those thoughts have we dismissed, Lord? said we're too busy, too tired, it's too much effort. Father, we ask that you would continue to speak to us and give us fresh ears to hear. Just those promptings of your spirit about things we can say, things we can do for our spouse to bless them, to encourage them. Father, we, we really do believe that marriage and family are a gift. And so Father, we ask that you would empower our marriages, that you would bless them uh, to be an example to those around us that we wouldn't settle for average, but we would strive for it to be everything that it can be, to be the full blessing that you want it to be for us, Lord. We thank you that you are the model of what it means to pursue, Lord. That you pursued us 
You loved us while we were yet sinners. You loved us first. You didn't stand back and wait for us to make the first move, wait for us to initiate, but you set the example by going first and and loving us when we were not lovable. And we thank you so much for making a way for, for us to be part of your family and for showing us that love goes first. So Father, in, in your name, I just ask that we would let go of, of any stubbornness, any bitterness that might be present in any of us, any reluctance to take the lead, any reluctance to go first. Father, would, would we just say, man, love goes first. And so that's what we wanna do. We wanna love our spouse as well, love them first, Lord God. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness to us.